Society places women's value on how they look, what they look like. Our value is based on our looks, not our intelligence or our contributions to society. Self-love to me is choosing yourself. And like what that means is I have me and like I choose me. Starting your own business, that means like giving yourself permission to fail. And that's scary, you know, I, I've been really afraid to fail, but I've learned that part of being an entrepreneur is failing and learning from that and then trying again and keeping trying until you get it right. For me, success would be like, how many people did I impact today? Like, it's not really about the number. Like when I signed my first client, I was so excited, not because I was like, I'm getting money. I signed a client. It's more like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to help this woman transform. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Permission to Become podcast. This is a podcast about Asian American women exploring their boundaries and permissions around self-discovery and personal empowerment. In this podcast, we will dive into the untold tales of Asian American women breaking out of who they should be and becoming who they truly are. My name is Joyce Bao, and I'm your host on this podcast. Hi, Christy. I'm so, so, so happy to have you on the Permission to Become podcast today. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I'm super excited as well. So let's start with um, just you sharing with the audience a little bit about who you are, what you do, and why you're excited to be here. Yeah, so... I am a body and nutrition empowerment coach based in San Francisco, and I help women transform their relationship with their body and food so they can learn to love themselves and manifest what they deserve. I'd love to, um, for you to start by sharing a little bit about your cultural upbringing um, as a Asian American and how that's really influenced your perception with uh, food as well as with your body image? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my parents moved here from Hong Kong. So, you know, I grew up like first generation American and Asian American. And, you know, I ate a blend of like Asian food because my mom would always cook like Asian food, but we'd also buy like the packaged American food that you see on TV, like all the commercials for these like sugary cereals and like processed foods. And at the time, I feel like people didn't really know any better about like how harmful processed foods were. So like I was eating like all these processed foods and also like all these like homemade foods. So I kind of became a chubby kid. I was a, I was a pretty big, big child. And you know, um, Asians, they're known for being petite. That's kind of the stereotype is that, you know, Asians are small, thin, like dainty and frail. And I was the complete opposite. I was like, I had big bones and like, I was chubby. So, um, you know, I, I felt very different. And also, um, you know, whenever, you know, with, 
whenever you see your relatives that you don't see in a long time, they always will comment on your weight, regardless what size you are. But it would be pretty like anytime I'd see some relatives, they'd be like, oh my gosh, you've gotten so big. And that would just, that was just like really hurtful to me because, you know, it's like, I'm, I was a child, you know, and they would comment on my size and I don't think they meant that in a malicious way, but you know, what happens when you're seeing like in the media, you see images of like skinny blonde women and you don't look anything like that. And like the skinny blonde women is like, that is the standard of beauty. And you're being told like, wow, you're so big. Like it starts to really mess with your self-esteem, especially when you're a young girl. And I think, especially for young Asian American women, it's, it's, it's like a whole added layer because like, A, they don't see people who look like them in media. So like there's the lack of representation. And then B, it's like, um, you know, the, the people that we do see, they are the stereotypical, like, or what people think to believe all Asians are, which is like the thin, like dainty woman. Right. Well, well, there are so many layers to unpack just like right there, because I think what you said was so um, important to point out that to, as an Asian American growing up here, um, on one hand, you, in this, in, in media, you're not seeing people who look like you. And, um, and then there's also the societal's projection of what you should look like to be the skinny, frail, pale, Asian woman. Um, so I'm just curious, like, what was the impact on you um, in your early childhood or, or even into your adulthood, having all those voices that are telling you, you don't really quote unquote fit in? Yeah, I mean, it made me feel like an outsider. And I also felt like, okay, because I don't look like this or that, I'm unworthy of love. And that's really kind of like where it all started is like, because I believe that I had to look a certain way in order to be loved or wanted or deemed worthy in society. So it really, I had such low self-esteem as a child because of my size. Mm, oh, I can so relate to that because I do think that, especially for us women, um, like you said, so much of our self-worth uh, seems to be tied to our image and how we look. Yeah. Well, society places women's value on how they look, what they look like. Our value is based on our looks, not our intelligence or our contributions to society. It's all about our looks. And that's why, you know, it, it really warps your sense of value, sense of self-worth because, okay, well, I don't, I'm not, you know, your standard beauty. Uh, so therefore I'm unworthy. Right. Right. So I'm curious, how did that impact your relationship with food um, back then? Mm. Yeah, like food for me was like comfort. <laughs> so I used food as comfort, you know? I mean, I, I, I still love food and I, I guess I turned into kind of like an emotional eater. And also another thing with like being raised by like an Asian family is that wasting your food is like really taboo. It's like you have to finish everything. So we're not taught to, yeah, you have to finish, eat every single grain. So I would like 
stuff myself. I would be so full and then there'd still be food. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I have to keep eating because there's still food. I can't waste because like we're taught not to waste because, you know, they grew up with in scarcity. So it's like, all right, well, I kind of felt like I was growing up in that same state. So like I had to eat whatever was in front of me. And then even when I was full, they'd be like, oh, it's it just eat a little more. It's just a little more. So that really kind of messed up my relationship with food. Even to this day, like I don't stop eating until the food is gone. It's like, I'm not done eating until the food's gone. But lately I've been learning to like listen to my body more as I eat. Cause it's like, okay, I'm full. Like I can stop eating now. And, and, and there's such things as leftovers. Like I didn't even like, I forget. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't have to eat it all. I can eat it later. But you know, it's still some, this unlearning and retraining that I have to do with myself to this day. Right. It just dawned upon me to kind of make that connection with our parents past of having spent um, a time in scarcity in Asia where there's famine, there's not enough food. And in some way that translated into our way of um, relating and uh, and eating um, because of, of the past. And that wasn't something that occurred to me until just now. So it was really interesting, that connection that you brought up. Yeah. And especially like coming to America, like the land of abundance, <laughs> you know, it's, it's completely switched around. And like, you know, I, I never really grew up in scarcity like that. So like, I, I don't know what it was like, but I think like their mentality has like carried over to our generation where it's like, food is scarce, but now it's like, there's there's an abundance of food and that's when I overindulge (laughs) right and I I, and I feel like in America we almost have the opposite relationship with food where because of the abundance and that there's too much food um there's almost this um kind of we're like waging war against food with all the calorie counting the diets um so many different diets um, in, in America. And so I'm curious, like, have you, when you were young, um, and just dealing with all these, um, experiences, like, did you try any diets and what was your sort of experience with that, with that? Yeah. I mean, I definitely, when I was a kid, well, I I would say more teenager when I was a teenager, I attempted diets, you know, I would see advertisements for like diet pills. I tried diet pills when I was a teenager. Like how messed up is that? Like, why, why would I like, I was, yeah, I I remember buying diet pills because I was like, I need a solution to this. And I never really changed the way I ate. Like I was never, I never like went on like a food diet where I'm like, well, I, I did go like vegetarian for like a year just to like try it out. I don't know why (laughs) I just did it. But like, yeah, I like, I did, I did like diet pills and it, I mean, of course it didn't work because who knows what's actually in them and yeah, diet pills are a farce, but yeah, I was like, I think I was like 15 or 16 when I bought diet pills for the first time. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. I still remember the infomercials um, on like pop these pills and you'll lose 10 pounds quick. And that's kind of the whole like marketing scheme in America where it's just, you don't have to do any work and then the the pounds will just shed and then you can still eat 
um, how you, how you've been eating. Yeah. And that's the thing with our culture, this like kind of this Western society, and maybe it's just in America, but like we want a pill to fix all of our problems, not just around like diet, but also like health issues, you know? So like, I'm also like a holistic nutritionist. So my belief is that our food is our medicine and that we need to eat the things that we, our body needs to be nourished and sustained. And yet like, you know, if you have a high cholesterol, just, just take this pill. If you are like prone to cardiovascular disease, take this pill, high blood pressure, take a pill. So we don't look at changing our lifestyle and dietary habits. We just want a pill for that solution. And same with diet pills. Like it, it, it's like, don't like, yeah, eat the way you are and then eat these, take these diet pills and you'll, you'll lose the weight. But you know, that's not, that's definitely not tr- the truth. Right. And I'm curious what in your defi- definition, what's the difference between diet versus nutrition? Yeah, I guess like the, the word diet technically, it, the definition is like your way of eating. So it's like, you know, it, but now it's been used as like diet is like a way of like restricting your food or eating a certain way in order to lose weight. So that's like, like diet just means way of eating. And like nutrition focuses more on like, okay, like I, I, when I think of the word nutrition, I think of like the food that you're like, like nourishing your body, nurturing your body, kind of like those two words kind of like sound like they're in nutrition. So that's what I think about when I think of nutrition. I love that definition. Nutrition is nourishing your body. So I want to segue a little bit to um, for you to share with the audience actually how you transitioned to become a body and nutrition empowerment coach. Because um, previously you had also worked in tech. So um, yeah, I would love for you to share kind of how you got here. Yeah, I mean it's been a, it's been an interesting journey and like kind of like. I wouldn't say random, but uh, yeah, I was working in tech in San Francisco for like four years and I knew that there was like something else that I wanted to do. And I, I've always been really like passionate about food and not just like eating it, but like, I've always been like, I mean, I love food and I'm so fascinated by like the history of food and just like anything related to food. And I just like, I really wanted to know more about like, you know, how do our, like, how do our bodies relate to food? What do our bodies actually need to eat to like be healthy? Because I, I kind of, I believe that food was our medicine. So I was like, I really want to learn about this. Like I want to know so I can apply it to my own life. I never really like thought about like being a nutritionist as a, as a profession. I just really wanted to know for my own self and also so I can like help those around me. And it, it really came from like a place of like wanting to help. So I enrolled in this nutrition, holistic nutrition school in the Bay Area. And this was while I was working. And um, it was just so interesting. Like I love just learning about like the way our body works and how food like influences it and how food actually feeds our body and allows it to function the way it needs to. And then I got laid off from my job and I was like, okay, well, you know, I have... I've been studying nutrition. So like, maybe I'll pursue this. Like I've been, you know, I have this in my pocket. I might as well see where this takes me. And um, so I started my nutrition practice at the end of 2020. And I started working with clients and most of my clients were women. And as I was working with them, I realized that there was more to it than just the food, like telling them what to eat. 
I realized that a lot of the women that I worked with had a really damaged relationship with food as well. And it's not, it's very common that women have a, a damaged relationship with food in their bodies. Like this, like, uh, you know, one client would tell me it's like, Oh, like I ate this and I felt really guilty afterwards. And it's like, why do we feel guilty for eating, feeding ourselves? And it's just, it's, it's societal. It's been ingrained in us that like eating certain things is wrong. Looking as looking a certain way is wrong. So I was like, you know, you can, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't really get them to drink. So like, I guess I'm using that metaphor. It's like, you can tell a person how to eat, but until, but, and you know, maybe they will eat the way you tell them, but like, until they change their relationship with their body and themselves and food, like they're not truly going to be healed and happy because they'll still be judging themselves for what they're eating and for looking a certain way. Even if they're eating super healthy, like maybe they'll reach their ideal weight, but then they'll find other ways, other ways that they want to change. So I really wanted to do an even more holistic way of working with people. So I wanted to help women change their relationship with their body and their relationship with food and also like teach them like about food because I believe like we need to eat the foods that we want and eat the food that we need like I don't believe in like okay you have to eat like all vegetables eat super clean like I like to enjoy my food food is meant to be enjoyed it's so it's also like food is so beautiful because it's like how we gather as a community so it's like Food is our way of like communing with each other. So like, it's beautiful to like enjoy food in that way. And it's like, if you're just like counting calories and like eating like, you know, keto or paleo, whatever, like super strict, you're, you're kind of, you're cutting yourself off from that community. You know, I I love how you pointed that out. Um, And especially with the tie of food to community, because I remember when I went through a period of dieting and, you know, I couldn't eat this, couldn't eat that. I I felt when I was going into social gathering settings, like restricted um, because my, the limitations I imposed upon myself excluded me from participating and connecting with the people I care about. Um, So it was almost this, like, it was in this conflict between like, oh, I shouldn't eat this. um, And yet I want to connect with the people. Um, so it's just really interesting that you you brought that up. Oh, yeah. Like there have been a number of times that I've been on a cleanse and like I just happened to be gathering with my relatives that I haven't seen in forever. And it was just like so painful to like watch all the delicious food they were eating. And I had like this box of like salad and I was just like, oh, I'm on this cleanse. And it's like it's all you can think about. You're just like watching them eat and they're all like celebrating and enjoying themselves. And you're just like sitting there with your salad and it's just sad. It's like, you're missing, you are missing out on that connection and that enjoyment. And it's, yeah, it it just really takes you out of it. And then all you can think about is like how you wish you were eating that. (laughs) Right. So so I just love how you bridge um, the nutrition piece to really empowering women to, to reconnect with themselves and actually use food, food, like you said, as medicine to heal their bodies, to heal themselves rather than using, restricting the food that they put into their system. Well, so I guess part of the, um, this podcast, uh, Permission to Become is really about your transformation journey. And you had transitioned 
from working in tech to becoming a holistic um, nutrition coach in the middle of the pandemic. So I'd imagine that must have been a huge pivot in your life. So I'm really curious, like in your transition journey, what were some of the biggest challenges that you had to go through in order to give yourself the permission to become the coach that you are today? Oh, yeah. And I mean, I'm still struggling with like, I just really, you know, one of the biggest hurdles was believing in myself, believing that I could do this and like start my own business and become a coach and like, be a coach that's like successful, you know, it's a lot like, you know, I, I could have been like, oh, you know what, I'll just get a job doing what I was doing before. Like, I could do that. I could and like get that paycheck and just kind of work for somebody else's dream. But then I was like, you know what, like, I am so passionate about this. Like, I truly want to transform people. So I, you know, I wanted to follow my passion and had to give myself permission to do that instead of like going back to like, what's safe. So, you know, starting your own business. So that means like giving yourself permission to fail. And that's scary. You know, this whole journey has been like, I've been really afraid to fail, but I, I've learned and I've, I've learned that part of being an entrepreneur is failing and learning from that and then trying again and, and if that, and keep and keeping trying until you get it right. So, you know, in this process, it's like, I've had to give myself permission to fail. I've also had to give myself permission to fail. Also give myself permission to rest. I took a lot, I took a lot of time between my job and starting this business because, well, we were in a pandemic (laughs) that was, I was kind of forced to do that, but also being okay with like not working, like being okay with not having to be productive, quote unquote, productive all the time, because rest, resting is being productive. You know, you're allowing your body to like recuperate. I think in our society, we don't value rest and relaxation enough. We work ourselves to the bone until we're burned out until we can't do it anymore. And like, that's unsustainable. It's so unsustainable. So like giving myself permission to rest and like being okay with the pace that things are going, you know, you know, like I didn't, you know, okay. Like maybe I didn't reach my launch goal, but that's okay because I'm starting out. This is my first time I'm learning. So it's like, I had to give myself permission to learn, you know, I'm new at this and I have to remember that and stop being so hard on myself and stop being such a yeah, critic. I, I, I really love the level of compassion you have for yourself and the permission to rest. This is something that I struggle with so much. And um, I'm curious, have you always been um, this way where you um, allow yourself to take those pauses or, um, or how, how did, how did that manifest into your being today or during your transition? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was such a doer and a goer, like before I got like, before I got laid off, like I, my calendar was so full, like I'd work nine to five and like, or sorry, actually I'd work eight to five and in Oakland. So it would take me like an hour to get to work, be at work for like 10 hours and then like an hour to get back. But after work, I'd always have an activity. Like I'd have like my workout class or my pole class or ceramics class. I, I, my schedule was so booked. And, um, 
and I just like would squeeze in every activity that I could. And like, anytime someone would try to hang out with me, I'd be like, oh, well I'm free on like in two weeks from this, from this time to this time. And it would be like so hard to like get, you know, hang out because like, I was just, my schedule was packed and I just felt like I had to do all the things. And it wasn't until I got laid off and it wasn't until the pandemic where I was forced to like stop. And so it wasn't, it didn't really like happen naturally. It kind of was like, it and it sort of did in a way it's like okay like I was yeah I was kind of forced to like slow down and I think a lot of us can relate to like being forced to slow down and I think a lot of us that's what a a lot of people learned from this pandemic is that needing to slow down so for the last year I've had a very a much looser schedule which is like it was so different however it feels right like I I'm feeling better just having like And I'm really lucky to like be able to have this schedule that works for me that I can create and that's not thrust upon me. I'm curious, like, how do you not feel guilty? That's something I struggle with. (laughs) Mm. How to remove the guilt from allowing yourself to rest. (laughs) It, Yeah, I think just like knowing that you need the rest, like you need it. And that's part of like self-care and that's part of self-love is like giving yourself what you need and releasing the guilt from that because it's for your, it's really is for your own good. So like, why do we, why do we feel bad doing things for ourselves? You know, I think it, you know, maybe it comes off as selfish, but I feel like doing things for yourself doesn't have to be like seen as selfish it's it's actually a good thing it's like you know what I'm a, I'm a, I'm a priority in my life I think it's about like prioritizing yourself so like when you can be like you know what I am prioritizing myself and my needs that's when you can like stop feeling release the guilt from like giving yourself that rest because if you're prioritizing other things in your life like prioritizing others or prioritizing your work or like prioritizing whatever it is in your life then you feel guilty because you're, you're kind of last, you're last. Mm. Like, Ooh, that hit me so hard. It, it really, it makes me think that the guilt actually separates us from truly loving ourselves and taking care of ourselves because it's, it's, it's maybe driven by fear or is an excuse that we have to do something else to fulfill other needs rather than our own needs. Absolutely. And like, yeah, I, I like kind of like reflected on like, why was I always wanting, why was I always needing to be busy? Like, why was I always needing to do an activity or like feel like I had to fill up my schedule? Because like, I think that in a way there was a fear of like being alone or like fear of, you know, yeah, like being unproductive, but like if I value myself or if I love myself, I shouldn't worry about being alone. If I'm by myself, that should be the greatest thing in the world. Cause like I'm hanging out with me, you know? Oh, I love that. That sounds so sweet. So self-love is like a core tenant, core tenant of what you teach in your um, coaching. So I'm curious if you, if you can just share with the audience, like what is actually self-love to you and how do one practice self-love? Yeah. Self-love to me is choosing yourself. And like, what that means is like, 
I have me and like, I choose me. Like I it's, it's loving. Yeah. Self-love is loving yourself. Of course. I think it's like choosing yourself, choosing to do the things that you desire and that make you happy and prioritizing yourself in your needs and not like in a selfish way where it's like, I don't care about anyone else. It's more like I care about other people. So I need to care for myself first in order to like, and the more you care for yourself, the more you're able to care for others. And it's also like setting boundaries, like knowing, knowing your limits. So cutting out people in your life that are toxic and being able to say no to things and not being a people pleaser focus on pleasing yourself first. So it's really just putting yourself first. Mm. Well, um, I'm curious, like in your life, what are some examples um, of times when you have chosen yourself um, when maybe in the past, when you didn't have that self-love, you would have done something differently. Yeah. I mean, in relationships, (laughs) that's a great example of like me choosing myself. Yeah. I mean, like in the past, like you know, I would, if there was a person, like if there, a guy gave me attention, I'd be like, awesome. Like, it doesn't really matter how they treated me. I'd be like, they're giving me attention. They want to be with me. I'll put up with whatever until like recently, like I was with someone and they didn't treat me so great. And like, they were starting to like cross my boundaries and disrespect them. And I was like, this person is not respecting me and what I'm asking of them. So I decided, I was like, you know what? Like I am going to be better off alone. Like I'm better off without you. So I chose myself and I removed myself from that situation. Old me would have stayed in it. And I even like remember like in that moment when I was like having that conversation with them, it's like, do I stay or do I go? And like, it was such an internal battle, but like the the newer me was like, no, like you do not need to put up with this anymore. Like the new me was like fighting the old me and my old patterns. And it was just like, I could choose the comfort of being with somebody, but also like being treated kind of poorly, or I can choose like the path of myself. And I decided to choose myself in that moment. And like, I'm so glad that I did because I know if I stayed, I would have been miserable and just like would have been upset. And like this person would have been taking up my time and energy when they weren't even worth it. It's like knowing your worth. That's another thing with self-love is knowing your worth and like setting those boundaries and setting those standards. I've lowered my standards like so much of my life just so I can like feel like I've been chosen, you know, like, and I've decided like, no, I am raising my standards from here on out because I'm an incredible person. You know, I deserve the best. Therefore I'm setting my standards high from here on out. So set those standards high. Yes. Yes. Um, And I really love how you flipped around this um, instead of having others choose us, which is what society tells us in all this love or romantic relationships, I- ideals, right? Um, you're that in that moment of decision, you chose yourself and that almost changed the, the cycle, broke the cycle um, of where you had been before. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, it really was like a moment and it just like shifted something in me. And I was like, yes, like I can choose myself in this moment. And I did. And like, now moving forward, I know what it feels like. And it's so empowering to be like, you know what? Like I'm doing me and cause I know I can do better for myself. Right. Oh, that's so empowering. Um, and how, so you talked about setting your standards and 
really having a sense of self-worth. I'm curious, like in your own life, like how do you actually practice that um, to know what your standards are and to honor your standards? Because it's one thing to say, like have self-worth and and then, you know, the, the moments of trials and tribulations come, it's like, I, like that's out of the window. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important to know what your values are, what you value in life, like know what you value and like stick to those values. Because like, if you value respect and if someone's disrespectful, then you can be like, no, you're out of here. If someone's just like, not like, like aligned with your values, then it's like, they're also like, you know, they're, they don't reach your standards either. So I think just like knowing who you are at your core, like your values, like what is, what are your values? What makes you special? And if they, if somebody doesn't like, if they're not aligned with that, then that's kind of like a, a good way of like filtering them out. I feel like there's, there are two parts of what you do. There's the, um, the nutrition part, but it's almost like the, the, the foundation is really the mindset and the relationship we we built we we establish with ourselves and a lot of that is rooted in like loving ourselves caring for ourselves knowing our worth knowing what's important to us what our values are and then changing the behaviors from that um so if there are even like transformation stories that you have from your like clients on like how you work with them that's something i'm also just like curious to hear, um, like more of like what your process is. Yeah. So my process, so my process is like, kind of like I, you start by, so the name of my program is the release and body manifest immersion. And you go through these, like, it's kind of like three pillars. So releasing is like releasing the old patterns, the negative thoughts. So like, releasing any negative self-talk or like releasing your um, limiting beliefs, releasing your like guilt around eating. And then once you kind of release everything and clear that space, you can then start embodying new things, more positive habits. Like, like you can start embodying like your self-worth, embody self-love, embody confidence through different exercises, like getting in touch with your physical body, you know, like doing like meditations and like really tuning into like yourself and like your higher self. Um, and also like em embodying a healthier relationship with food by like, you know, I also do like nutrition coaching. And then like the manifest piece is like, okay, like now that you have a newer, like you have a higher understanding of your self-worth and value, you can start calling in the things that you deserve. It's like, okay, like I deserve a different, a better job. I deserve a better relationship. I deserve to be happy. Like I deserve these things because I have a high value of self-worth. So like I can get the things that I want and I know what I want and I know what I deserve. So it, you kind of have to go through that, those steps. So like you could start by the clearing and then within that empty space, you can start to like embody these newer these more positive habits and patterns and from there you can get the things that you deserve oh i love that it's like we have to go through the clearing which i feel like 2020 in itself has been a lot of clearing um in order to 
build a new foundation and a new layer, and then we can go out and manifest. Because I feel like a lot of times the manifest people like manifest. It's like I manifest, manifest, manifest. Why is it not coming? And I just love that process that you came up with to to do the work first. Yes. Oh yes, you always have to do the work because you know we all have our shadows, and like it's such an like like this part of about like manifestation. A lot of it is have to do with the shadow work. Like we all have shadows. We need to face those because like manifesting isn't all about sunshine and rainbows. There's a, there's also like shadows that we have to face. So we have to clear those in order to like step into the light. Mm. Oh, that's so beautiful. Um, so I'm curious, like, what does being healthy mean to you now? And like, what does a typical day look like for you when it comes to self-care and nutrition? Yeah. So a typical day for me is I'll wake up and I, I do my best to wake up around like 830. And like, I don't really have like, i I have like shades on my window, but the sun and like I, my windows face the east. So like it gets bright. So I kind of wake up when the sun starts hitting my room. And then um, so I'll do like a meditation, pull some tarot cards and kind of like reflect on that meaning. Yeah, I, it's kind of fun to do these like witchy rituals. And then I'll work out. I'll work morning. I like to work out in the morning just to like get it over with. And it gives me energy throughout the day. And then after I work out, I shower and um, I try to work out like four to five times a week. And then I'll, um, I'll make a, I'll make my brunch. I, I kind of eat a little later in the day. Like that's when my body like actually need, wants food and needs food. I don't really eat like three meals a day. I have like a brunch after I work out. So I'll usually make like a smoothie and like have some eggs or like avocado toast. So it's really filling. Like I, and I, my smoothie that I drink is huge. Like the jar is like massive. It's like almost a liter of smoothie. What is your smoothie? I'm curious. <laughs> Oh yeah. I'm happy to talk about my smoothie. So I make my own cashew milk. So cashew milk is so easy to make. You just need to soak some cashews and then overnight, and then you blend it with water and you don't have to like strain it or anything. So I'm a big fan of cashew milk. Um, and like, I like to get the cashew pieces from Trader Joe's. Cause like the whole, whole cashews are like really unnecessary. Cause like I've, I've been to like a cashew farm and like, I've seen how people harvest cashews. And like, it's really arduous and like, no wonder why cashews are so expensive. So like, I think whole cashew pieces are bogus. It's like, they have to really carefully peel it. So like, anyway, I'm like totally going off on a tangent. Um, but um, I like the cashew pieces you can get at Trader Joe's. Anyway, you soak them, you just blend it in your blender. And I recommend getting like a really high power blender. Um, Vitamix, if you want to sponsor me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, love my Vitamix. Um, anyway, uh, where was I going? Okay. Make the cashew milk. So I'll have like a little bit of cashew milk. I add chia seeds, hemp seeds. I do a green powder. I'll add like a, a medjool date in it for sweetness. Oh my God. I love dates. Um, and then sometimes I'll add protein powder, like protein powder kind of has this like weird taste. So I don't always love it, but I, I know that I need more protein. Um, and then I usually do spinach as my, the green, Sometimes I'll do kale um, and then a banana and blueberries or whatever. I, I like blueberries, but whatever berries, like strawberries, blackberries, and then ice, and then a little more water. 
and it's great. Like, oh, okay, so you you make your own cashew milk, and then like, and then that gives that nuttiness texture. I'm just like, it's, it sounds tantalizing. I'm like, I want to make that. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, and it has like all these all these great ingredients. So it's like all kinds of things. That's why I haven't really changed the recipe because it's like, okay, I, I'm getting everything that I need in this smoothie. So why would I change it? Um, but I love I love hearing about other people's like smoothie recipes. So, well, thanks for sharing this with the audience because that's such a great hack. I'm definitely gonna try it out. Um, okay, so you have your smoothie, and what is your like afternoon sort of evening like routine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I start I start doing my work like after brunch. So I'll I'll like sit down on my computer, you know, figure out what I'm doing for the day, and also oh, before all this, like earlier in the week, like Sunday or Monday, I like plan out what I'm doing for the week. So I like get to work and like, sometimes I'll have calls, like coaching calls or like meetings throughout the day. And then I, I stop working. I don't really, I actually don't really, I kind of like work all day. Like I'll like take breaks. And then like, like the thing is when you work for yourself, you can work at any time. And I tend to be such a night worker. Like that is when my brain switches on. That's when my creativity flows. So I get a lot done at like, 9 10 11 p.m that's kind of when I'm like really really working I'll do like smaller tasks during the day but if I'm trying to like write something if I'm trying to be creative I do that at night because that's just when my creativity flows and then like after dinner like I'll rest and then like if I have work to do I'll get back to work and just like work until bedtime and then um before bed I have like my skincare routine and then like yeah, I pass out. <laughs> That's my wow. day. It just really sounds like, yeah, it really sounds like your whole day is like you're flowing with your day um, rather than the schedule you had described to me from your, when you were in your nine to five job or eight to five job is like very like, it's just gem packed and rigid versus this is like, you're just flowing and so beautiful that you really recognize like when your creativity um, hour is and capitalize on that time. Yeah, definitely like getting into this like kind of flowier state was really kind of a challenge at first. So I was like, Oh, I need to be working at during these hours. And it's like, no, you don't, I can work whenever I want. And it's like, I definitely need to be working when I like at my peak hours. So that was a thing I had to learn, like give myself permission to like work when I wanted to, <laughs> like, instead of like feeling like I had to be productive during the day. Like that's something that's really ingrained in us. It's like, we have to be productive between nine and five. It's like, that's not true. Like who made that up? Like, seriously, who came up with that? They were wrong. Like they were wrong. I'm productive at 11 PM, which is weird. Well, it's not weird. It's like, that's just when I am productive. So yeah, that's how, that's the best way for me to work. Like if I'm like, if I, like I can sit at my desk at like 2 PM and just like stare at my computer and like get nothing done. It'll take me like five times as long to get something done. If I just do it at 11, I'll breeze through it. And it's like, so yeah, giving myself permission to just flow throughout the day. Mm-hmm. It's like we're not fitting ourselves in a box, but actually allowing our true form to like flow with the rhythm of the day. I can mm-hmm. so relate to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just feels more spacious and less like less confined. Yes. And that's really the beauty of um, being an entrepreneur. And I can relate to that just really tuning into like, what is the good time of the day? What do I 
feel like doing. And when is if things are not coming out through us, then maybe we have to adjust in order to fit our natural like who are like who we are naturally. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. So I'm curious, like as an entrepreneur, um, how do you keep yourself motivated to stay on course? Because it's different from like in a nine to five, it's like we have our peers, our coworkers, our managers. And as a like solopreneur, like how, how do you keep yourself motivated and how do you define even success for yourself? That is such a good question. And, you know, I keep myself, it's hard to keep yourself motivated at times. Um, I feel like, and I'm like such a procrastinator. Like I've definitely noticed this pattern of myself is that I wait till the last minute to, to do work, um, but I get it done. And then that cycle continues. Um, so I, I work best when I have like an accountability buddy. So like for a, a few months, I had a friend come over and we'd be the accountability buddies. So that's one way to do it. Cause like, you know what, like you could do it alone or you could get help from somebody, you know? And like, we realized that we helped each other get work done. Um, so like having an accountability buddy helps me also like I work with coaches like I, I have I have a coach myself like so my coach helps me stay on track as well and yeah like I think I work really well by having like a to-do list like r- actually physically writing out my to-do list and like checking going down that list um, and it really kind of changes I've yet to really find like the perfect system but like you know seems like I'm things are working out and like yeah, how do I, how do I define success? That's really hard. Cause like, I mean, for me, success would be like, how many people did I impact today? Or like, how many people have I impacted? Like, it's not really about the number. Like when I signed my first client, I was like, so excited. Not because I was like, yes, I'm getting money. I signed a client. It's more like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to help this woman transform. Cause like, I see where she is now and she's in a lot of pain and I see where she can be like after working with me. And I just am so excited to see that journey and that transformation for her. Cause I want that for her. And I was like, that was like that feeling that I got was just like, oh my gosh, that's such an amazing feeling. I'm like, I was like, I'm so happy for you that you're doing this. So that success to me is like changing an individual an individual's life, you know, like you can't really measure that. Well, that's such a powerful definition because your success in, in a way is measured by the transformation you create in the people that you work with. And that's just so empowering and uplifting and also feels purposeful to me in what you're doing. Yes. Like I'm a purpose-driven business rather than profit-driven. I love that redefinition. So as we're wrapping up, I'm curious, what is your, if there's one thing the audience, um, if you want the audience to remember from um, your story and your message, what would that be? Mm, Yes. It would be that choosing to love yourself is a revolutionary act we are, our society is designed to make ourselves hate ourselves because they profit from that. 
they make money off of us hating ourselves. So they can sell us stuff. They can sell us creams and diet pills and magazines and plastic surgeries. And it's like, do we, and like, who do we want to win in this? Do we want them to win or do we want us to win? And in order for us to win, we have to learn how to love ourselves and to choose ourselves because at the end of the day, we are all we have. And your relationship with yourself is the most important one that you'll have. When you cultivate and nurture your relationship with yourself, your other relationships outside of you flourish. Your relationship with others, your friends, your family, your, your romantic partners, your, your job, your career, your community, all of it will flourish. I love this message and thank you so much for sharing your message with the audience and teaching us to really have take this revolutionary act to love ourselves. So how can the audience find you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? And um, are there any upcoming exciting announcements that you would like to share with the audience? Yeah, so you can you can find me on Instagram and I'll be honest, I don't post much on Instagram. <laughs> That's just not part of my flow. Like social media is like not part of my flow. So my handle is christy.h.yip and christy is spelled c h r i s t y and yip is y i p. Um that's where you can find me. You can DM me or you can email me. Um, it's chichi at christyyip.com. So chichi is like the name that I go by. Um, and yeah, what do I have coming up? So my, my release of body manifest immersion is beginning in July, July 19th is when it's going to start. So that is coming up. Yeah. Oh, that's your birthday. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. So it's a great day to start. It is. Oh my gosh. I'm, that's, I'm even more excited. So yeah, July 19th, Joyce will obviously remember that it's her birthday. So um, if you're interested in learning more about it, like email me, reach out to me. I'd love to have like a, like a, I'd love to get on a call with you if you're interested. So yeah. Okay. So I'll add all your contact info, your Instagram handle um, in the show notes. If you want to get in touch with Christy, um, you can find her um, info in the show notes. So thank you so much for taking your time and for coming on this show today. It has been such a, an inspirational conversation to learn about your journey. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Joyce. And thank you for letting me share my story. And I'm just, yeah, I'm loving what you're doing. Thank you so much for listening to the Permission to Become podcast. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to rate, review, or subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. I'd really appreciate it. I'd also love to hear any feedback you have. So feel free to email me at permission to become at gmail.com.